Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, welcome back, Chase Thomas podcast. Taping this on a Tuesday night, and look before you. You know what's funny is I can always tell, like when John's in an exceptionally good mood. John Taylor, when I like click the just our our video to record this podcast, John's just like trying not to grin in a really really terrifying way because he's just at his he's who would have thought john is just excited fangraph john taylor how are you man i am good you know i'm excited because i am at the world baseball classic in miami for pool mm-hmm. d play the pool of death with my with the dominican republic puerto rico venezuela it has been i i am i am a big wbc sicko i always have been i make no make no bones about that no shame about it but I got to say, it, it's just it's been so great. It is such a great time. It is. I know we're, we're going to get more into the WBC, but I, you know, I, I can't say enough about how fun it is to be here and to get to do this, you know, and to get to be part of this, especially knowing that, you know, and, I, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, too. This pool play wraps up tomorrow with Puerto Rico versus the Dominican Republic. Winner go home. I, I can't even express how excited I am for just for the atmosphere of that one, how crazy this place is going to be for 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 hours and hours tomorrow what's been the best game so far uh i think puerto rico venezuela was really really good venezuela mm-hmm. obviously you know and venezuela the big the big story of pool d by beating both puerto rico and the dominican republic to mm-hmm. uh, uh to take first place in the group and they're going to face whoever is the runner-up in pool c which i think will be either mexico or the united states here in miami in about a week or not about a week sorry in a few days uh, that game was nuts. Venezuela jumped out to a big lead. Puerto Rico, you know, kept clawing back and clawing back. I will say also, uh, Monday night's game, the Puerto Rico perfect game that wasn't a perfect game, that was a lot of fun too. And although I think the best moment for me has been, and I don't know if this is, you know, you've seen it or, or heard of it, the young Nicaraguan pitcher Duque Hebert, who came in to pitch this the ninth inning. Is the 21-year-old, the kid? Yes. Okay. Came in to pitch the ninth inning against the Dominican Republic, struck out Juan Soto, Julio Rodriguez, and Rafael Devers, and quite literally got a contract offer from the Tigers that same day, like right after the game finished. One of just one of the coolest things I've seen in any level of baseball, really ever. It's just again, this is this is the kind of stuff that just makes the WB so much fun. Everyone here, all these players care so much and are just playing like their hair is on fire for this stuff, you know. And I it's it's really been a lot of fun to be a part of. Who's been the biggest turnout fan-wise? What have you seen the most Ooh, of? Definitely Black. a tie yeah. between Dominican fans and Puerto Rican fans. They are hmm. everywhere here. And this is, I should know too, this is, uh, so the five teams in Pool D, hmm. Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Venezuela, uh, Nicaragua, and Israel, that's effectively a home game for all five of those teams. I guess Israel probably the the kind of laggard in that group. Hmm. I mean, they're definitely. Pl- I definitely have seen plenty of, I definitely saw plenty of fans last night uh, with Israel flags and Israel shirts. I'm sure there are plenty more in the stands right now behind me filing in. But definitely the Dominicans and Puerto Ricans have shown up in huge numbers. And I, I mean, I can't even like the level of the volume that this place reaches, the decibel level you get, the sheer noise that these fans make when for anything, not just you know, not just when runs are scored, not just for big strikeouts, but for any hit, any good play like it's wild. I only the only experience I've ever had that's close to it is postseason baseball, and that it's it really is something else. I, I you know, I, again, we'll get into it, but I and I, I'll I'll make this recommendation forever. But if you are at all a WBC fan, 
find a way to go to these games in person at some point in your life. They are so, so much fun. I cannot stress that enough. Who's been who's been the star so far of the WBC? Who's really shown out? Uh, it's I think in that group you're talking primarily. I think Anthony Santander, who mm. hit two home runs, one off Sandy Alcantara uh, in the Dominican Republic, one off of uh, Jose Barrios in Team Puerto Rico. That uh, the homer off Alcantara tied the game. The homer against Barrios was in the first inning to put Venezuela ahead in a game that they ended up winning. Uh, they won both of those games, so obviously he was a really really big part of that. Uh, otherwise, I mean, Soto has homered, Machado has homered, uh, the Dominicans gotten some great pitching performances, Christian Javier yesterday against Nicaragua was, uh, pretty much perfect through four innings. Otherwise, uh, I think the two, but otherwise I think the two names that you're going to hear the most about from this, from this group, one I already mentioned, uh, the young Nicaraguan Duque Hebert, who, even if his career never goes anywhere else from here, again, author of one of the just single coolest moments in WBC history, just in any kind of baseball, and uh, obviously Jose De Leon, the Puerto Rican pitcher who went five and two-thirds perfect innings mm. against Israel, uh, struck out 10 batters. in, And also one of the weirdest things I've ever seen, a perfect game that wasn't actually a perfect game because Puerto Rico walked itself off, essentially, <laughs> thanks to the mercy rule mm-hmm. with just uh, in the eighth inning. So because – and this is uh, – WBC goes by MLB rules. You know, it's not a perfect game or no hitter unless nine innings are completed. So technically mm. it's neither, but – I mean, I don't care what they say. It's a, it's a perfect your heart, game. John. That, no, and, and it's, to the Puerto Rican players, it was definitely a perfect game. Mm. And, and I think especially for the fans, too. But to me, I mean, you know, 24 Israeli hitters came to the plate. 24 Israeli hitters went back after making an out. I, you know, the fact that three more didn't get to do it doesn't really take away, in my mind, from what De Leon did and from what his teammates did, too. Is it? What's the vibe? Like, are there a lot of team personnel? Like, are they nervous? Or are they just watching, like, Juan, Juan, don't you dare. Don't well, do funny. that, Manny. No, it, no. It's funny you mentioned Soto because uh, supposedly, or reportedly, I should say, and, and you know, the Padres have said somewhat otherwise, but per the Dominican manager, Rodney Linares, he's not mm. allowed to use Soto in back-to-back games. They're not allowed to start him in back-to-back games because mm. the Padres don't want him playing in back-to-back games. And that's just kind of an unfortunate constant with mm-hmm. WBC games. Uh, Venezuela's run into similar problems. They started Eduardo Rodriguez today against uh, against Nicaragua. That's the only start he's going to be able to make for them because the Tigers have effectively said, he got one start. We don't care how long you go in this tournament. He's not pitching again. Mm-hmm. Similarly, there's apparently been some scuttlebutt that they do not want Miguel Cabrera taking more than one at-bat a game at this point, which I understand way less than the Ed, than the Eduardo Rodriguez stuff. I mean... This is Miguel Cabrera's final season. By extension, this is his final WBC. You know, he's not even starting in this in the Venezuelan lineup on a regular basis anyway. He's only played two of the four games here. You know, this is obviously such a huge thing for him and for them. But it, it's funny, too, that, like, you watch these guys play. I mean, I watched Ronald Acuna go first to home on a Sal Perez double, running as if, you know, he had a grizzly bear chasing him. And mm-hmm. I think, yeah, and you do have to imagine Atlanta's, like, team personnel, like, if they're, if they're here, they're watching that game like just clutching their chest the entire time going, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Mm-hmm. But it's like I don't really think that to a certain degree these guys know how to turn that off because yeah. these games so clearly mean so much to them. Like you, you see it with every hit, every run scored, with every strikeout, you guys piling out of the dugout, screaming, jumping, celebrating. You know, this – the World Baseball Classic means – so so much to them and understandably so because you know there is no other international baseball tournament that has this kind of cachet that has the level of star power 
uh, that the WBC does. You know, there's no baseball in the Olympics, you know, and, the, and things mm-hmm. like the Pan American Games or all the under 23 and, and other under 18 tournaments. You know, it's not it's not the same. This is the only time that really any of these guys on the Dominican Republic team or on the Puerto Rican team on the Venezuelan team are going to get an opportunity to play for their national country or for their country, you know, for their birthplace in a tournament that where some where it matters, even even if the WBC ultimately doesn't matter at all, really, because obviously there's no real reward. And it's at the end of the day, just a big exhibition tournament. It still clearly means so much to them just for their pride and, and how much pride they have too in their country and in their fans and, and everything else. Like I, I, I have to imagine yet, yeah, but yeah, though, that, you know, MLB personnel watch this or team personnel rather watch these games and are just like cringing with every mm-hmm. slide with every like with every like lunging catch like it, it must be nerve-wracking for them but the good news is for the rest of us it's just so much fun to watch these guys just go at playoff level intensity in march you know this is something we're not going to see for another six to seven months in in regular baseball so it's it's something too where it's you you enjoy it while you get it because again you know the Think about it. The other, the other alternative to this right now is watching split squad grapefruit and cactus league games. You know, I, mm. how, how does that even begin to compare to what this? Well, is? hold on. You can watch the Tennessee Volunteers who are playing right now and up on. Is it Lipscomb tonight? They start SEC play this weekend. I was wondering how long into WBC talk <laughs> we were going to get before Tennessee came up. Uh, Tennessee not part of the pool of death. No, that'd be fun. They should get, I, that look, should be I, the Team USA team is actually the best college team that year. They should do I mean, that. that's basically what the Olympics team was yeah. forever. Um, mm. And I think continued to be, even in the last Olympics, was, um, obviously MLB wasn't going to let its players take four weeks off in the middle of the season to go play in the Olympics. But mm. um, I mean, I, I mean, that's the thing, though. Like there there are amateur tournaments, obviously, and, and, you know, international tournaments where you do get like this level of, of you know, of hard playing of excitement. But they just it just doesn't come close because, again, it's about the star power. It's about the players who are here. The Dominican Republic roster is just stacked beyond belief. Puerto Rico's roster is stacked. Venezuela's roster is stacked. Japan, Japan not only has Shohei Otani, but also three guys in Roki Sasaki and Munatami Murakami, or Munataka Murakami and uh, the pitcher's name I'm forgetting, who are among the best players in the entire world. You know, this is, it, it's really special to be able to see these kinds of all-star collections of talent in a way that we're, we don't ever get the chance to see during the season. Tani looks like he looks more jacked than usual. Otani is gigantic. I don't gigantic. know how he's getting better. I don't understand yeah. that. I do not get how a dude who is already literally Babe Ruth <laughs> is finding a level above being literally Babe Ruth. It, it mm-hmm. boggles the mind how good he is. And I mean, I, I haven't uh, truthfully haven't been able to pay it too much attention to the rest of the WBC. I've just been, you know, hyper focused on the games here in Miami. Mm. But it does seem to me like assuming Japan and Japan plays, I believe, I want to say tomorrow, but given, you know, Asian time zones, tomorrow could very well be either today or two days from now or three days ago. Mm. Uh, Japan will play uh, eventually in the quarterfinal matchup with Italy. Uh, while Cuba gets, I think Korea is the other team. I I probably have those matchups wrong, but thank you for the thank you for the Italian just. I they do that on the bench when when they <laughs> score. It's really lovely. Um, I'm watching Sopranos right now with my wife for the for her okay. first her first watch. So the inarticulate Italian noises came yes. up this past one. Yeah, and I'm sure that's going to be happening with Team Italy. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean it's hard not to see Japan as the favorite right now. They have they steamrolled their pool competition, hmm. uh, which granted no one in that they're pool the is favorite altogether. Well. You think they're the favorite to win the WBC? Yes, I, th- okay. I think they are. They, you know they they steamrolled their pool. They should have I don't think any problem 
uh, advancing to the semifinals here in I forget if they're in Miami or in Phoenix. I know the quarterfinals are here in Miami. I believe the semifinals are too. I think the whole thing is actually finishing up in, in Miami. But mm. either way, I fully expect Japan to be to be one of the last four teams standing in this. Uh, last two things on WBC. Uh, one, uh, what's been your funniest observation you've seen from a fan or a fan interaction? You're walking around. Like I've watched your videos on Instagram and everything else. Like you're in the you're in in there uh, with the fans, and then the follow up. What's the best thing you've eaten at the stadium? What are they serving? What's what's the good stuff that you've been you've been getting? Food wise, I, I think it's pretty much what you would get at a Marlins game. So it's mm. you know slop. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's just they're they're ground up pitchers that didn't work out. It's just they put them out in big troughs, and you can get yourself a scoop. It's it's mostly Cuban sandwiches. The savings that they they're just giving you coins from how much they've yeah, saved just, over the years. It's just it's just cash. Mm-hmm. Uh, granted, it's it's non-legitimate cash. It's the fake money that they found in Jeffrey Loria's office. But mm-hmm. no, the the food has been. I mean, the typical food you would expect to get in Miami. So you got you know mm-hmm. your Cuban sandwiches, you got empanadas, you got your croquetas, you got your gaucho sandwiches, your Argentinian What's steak a gaucho sandwich. sandwich. Argentinian steak sandwich. It's quite good. Ooh. Uh, you got mm. some sushi even. You got a uh, pizza that calls itself I'm not best trusting pizza. Salt. Sushi ballpark sushi is a dangerous game, John. I look, I'm not saying I've tried it. I've been sticking okay. to the the Cuban sandwiches that I that I'm used to. Okay. But I'm just trying uh, to picture someone sitting next to me at a baseball game, much in doubt. Like just a row of sushi. Just like You, just my su- friend, have never been either to a Giants game or a Mets game, because that stuff happens there. Does it really? Yeah, the Mets have sushi at their ballpark. What? Yeah, at a at a place called Daruma. It's a basically I can't a Japanese leave the South, John, because I just I might walk into a ballpark with sushi on tap. Can't have that. Don't again knock until you try it. All but. you need is uh, a hot dog, John. All you need is a hot dog and some mustard. And then if you really want to get bold, some chicken tendies with some honey mustard and barbecue sauce. That's it. Look, if I weren't working tonight or, or watching this mm. game, at least from the press box, I would be, you know, grabbing a hot like four hot dogs and a couple beers and just finding myself an empty seat and just chilling for the rest of the night. There you go. But in terms of the the best fan stuff I've seen here, I mean it really is just like I've never seen more Puerto Rican, Dominican, and Venezuelan flags in one place than I have uh, than I have here. Mm. It, it's really, really something incredible. Like how into this, how into this these fans are. How just ex- how much excitement there is, and like, but not just excitement. Excitement in a way where it's it's friendly. You see, you know, how many times I've I've looked out in this uh, Marlins Park or Lone Depot Park or whatever the crap this thing is called. <laughs> has a little kind of fan plaza area with WBC mm. like art and stuff and a big you know a big uh, what's it called a big stage that's been blasting music the entire time at like you know an insanely high volume but like you know throughout that you're seeing fans from different teams just dancing together and having mm. beers together and just partying together you know there's no there are no hard feelings or at least I haven't seen any here you know and granted mm. I think Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic on Wednesday is going to challenge that a little bit because, again, whoever whoever loses that game, they are done in this tournament. Whoever mm. wins moves on. But so far, it's it's just been a love fest. It's been a lot of folks just really excited to be here and just cheering for not only their teams, but also for all the, the cool stuff they've been able to see. And it's, it's been cool, too, to see uh, the smaller fan base, especially the Nicaraguan fans. And South Florida has a really big Nicaraguan population, I think probably the biggest in the United States. Hmm. But, you know, they've turned they turned out for a team that is not just tiny, but also really had no shot of winning even a single game here. And unfortunately, they did. Nicaragua went 0 for 4 and uh, unfortunately also have to requalify for the next WBC. But this mm. was their first one and they really showed out them and their fans both. 
That's cool, man. Uh, this is great. John Taylor's had a great last couple weeks. Italy, WBC in Miami. Yeah, I don't, gonna, I don't know how I'm topping Taylor. this. I'm, I'm going to have to go to like the moon or something next week just to, to find another gear here and go report on moon baseball. <laughs> it's a real thing now. That's a possibility. Don't give Elon any other ideas. No. Um, the D-backs. Yes. Before we get to our NL East preview, John, because a okay. team that uh, is in that NL East is where you're at right now. We'll talk about them in a second. But uh, I wanted to mention this before we get into it. Corbin Carroll got a big extension from the D-backs. Do you like uh, the deal for him? And uh, what where, where are you at with that and what he can ultimately be for Arizona long term? I mean, I think it's clear that in doing that, Arizona believes he's their biggest long-term building block of the future and it's easy to see why you know hmm. our our top prospect over on Fangraphs entering the season in our top 100 um or sorry number two on our list behind Gunnar Henderson you know uh, a, a great hitter brings all the tools to the table one of the fastest runners in baseball a great defender uh right now in a corner outfield spot a great hitter you know I, I like the deal for I, obviously it's 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 always interesting when a player does something like this, and especially it's such a long extension. We saw Kybert Ruiz do the same with, with the Nationals signing an eight-year deal there, too, to give up, essentially, uh, in both in Carroll's case, the first three years of his free agency. But I think at the same time, you know, when you are a young player like that, to be, give, be told, essentially, hey, here's a guaranteed $111 million plus another 15 to 20 in an option year, that's really hard to turn down. And I think especially it's hard to turn down when you know that, hey, I'm not going to hit free agency even for another six years at this point. And obviously tons and tons can happen between now and then. Like I, These guys know, I think, and if they don't know, their agents make it abundantly clear that when they sign these extensions, they're leaving some money on the table, at least theoretically. They know that mm. they're giving up those super valuable free agent years. But I have to imagine when you are a guy like Carroll and you are just now getting into the majors, you know, it, it must be really, real, really hard to turn that down. On the other hand, Arizona, obviously, it's a big investment in a guy who has very, who has virtually no MLB track record, but again, a, a consensus top prospect and a guy who they kind of need to, it's a guy they needed to lock down if they did want to start building the next core of, or the core of what's going to be the next good Diamondbacks team. Like, Carroll is the starting point for that. And then the next steps for that are guys like Alec Thomas and guys like, uh, you know, the various guys in the, uh, all the various pitchers that they're developing, you know, this Carol is pretty much the necessary first start in order to, you know, make a dime to make the Diamondbacks a contender again. And, you know, and that's something I, you know, obviously we'll talk about it. I think a little more in depth when we get to the NL West preview stuff, but you know, I, I don't really see the space right now for Arizona to take the West, given how strong San Diego is and given the presence still of the Dodgers. But I think we both agree that that's, this is a legitimate, at least wildcard contending team. Mm -hmm. And I think that as the years go by and, uh, you know, depending how things go, particularly in San Diego and Los Angeles, you know, it's not hard to see an Arizona team being part of that division mix sooner rather than later, particularly if Carroll does develop the way that they think he will. That's fair. I think the Diamondbacks have a really high floor. I, I think yeah, they're a high-floor team. Um, there you go. John Taylor, NL East, my favorite division. Do you know why? I'll give you one guess why the NL East is my favorite division, John. Go. Because you are going to get to watch C.J. Abrams and, oh, God, name a national is actually going to be really tough going Trey forward. Trey Lipscomb in a couple years? Sure. That's a person Tennessee I'm legend. guessing. Yeah, okay. Tennessee why why do I even got... assume anything otherwise? <laughs> Than he'd be, you, I can't believe you did. Player. Why else would I just throw why, out? Literally, uh, why else would you? 
Yeah, um, exactly. No, I I know that what you love most of all is watching Liberty Media mm. uh, make record profit and revenue. Yes. Through its ownership and operation of the Atlanta Braves. That is one of my favorite things. Um, no, I know you. I know you root for the shareholders and the dividends the at all times. Yes. Jerry Seinfeld roots for laundry. I root for spreadsheets. Uh, John Taylor. Yes. Mm. There, it's those are their own kind of laundry. That's Get it? true. Spreadsheets. Ah, uh, okay. Let's oh move. wow, John is feeling himself. That was a heat check. That was a John is in Miami say, having a good a, week heat check. That's a three I, from like thirty-one. That's a Dion Waiters shot. Right no, do you know what's happening, John? What's that? You're holding the mic up. You're standing. You like you're doing a bit right now. Like yeah, I feel like uh, I should be like I feel like I should be doing the thing where I put my fingers to my ear and just like wait five seconds after you say something. Go, yeah, that's right, Chase. <laughs> just something like that the whole time. This is the most professional broadcast we've ever done. It looks Which like you're really on assignment over here behind you, and I, I just feel like I should be like in a suit and tie and of like. So what is the vibe down there, John Taylor? What are you seeing why, down there why, in why Miami, don't, why Florida? Don't we, why don't we pull a Jeff Passan and do this in a suit and tie? Mm. Don't put that on me. I don't want to do suit and tie. Yeah, I mean, neither do I, but it, it does make you look that much more professional. I can't really. I'm going to out myself here. I still can't really tie a tie. I still it's, look. It's I. I have one tie. I have one knot that I go to. It's the same basic knot every time. If you mm. ask me to do something even remotely more complicated than that, that tie will look like a dog has been chewing on it. So I, mm. I'm fully with you on that. Do you know what you can do? I don't know. Yeah. Well, you're not left-handed. You're holding it with your right no, hand. I'm so right-handed. Right yeah. See, I'm left-handed. Do you know how many things you can get out of learning just because you say you're left-handed? It's just backwards. So you're like, I just. What you're showing me doesn't work for me because I would have to do it all backwards and like can openers. I've never used a can I was opener. Say, so what you're saying is you don't know how to use a pair of scissors. Not great with a pair of scissors. Yeah, those look. It's I, I as a free son, as a as a privileged right hander. I I mm-hmm. can only I can only guess as to the pain you go through looking at a guitar and going, well, never gonna be able to play that one. Yeah, no, I have no musical musical like the my pain my cross to bear was the um the desk because i will go to bat like i'm gonna be oh, the school the little, the board karen desk. this yes. is gonna be me like if i have a kid and that kid is left-handed i am going to bat because no one went to bat for me john when i was in my classroom with the right-handed desk there's no left-handed desk how is it t- i don't know if it's changed but growing up i was always like there's enough lefties. Like, how are you not just allocating four to five left-handed desks in the budget? Why are all of these right-handed desks? So I'm having to write, and then I have ink or uh, just the the lead all over my hand. Any essay, John, it was ridiculous. There was something going on as to why left-handed students were not given left-handed desks. I don't understand so it. So what you're saying is the woke mob is coming for right-handed desks. And I'm leading. I'm leading the charge because left-handed deaths are important and left-handed people are people too, John Taylor. Yes, um, the Phillies. I want to start here. Make okay. the World Series. I wonder, in your estimation, my big question with them, was last year a blip? Does the absence of Bryce Harper for a lot of this season play a big role here? They obviously signed Trey Turner. They have a busy offseason. Dave Dombrowski, as you well know, is going to keep going for it. He'll keep doing. He's not. He's, he, he's trader. Trader Dan will never. Or trader Dave will never stop. He will never die. He will live forever. Yeah. Was last year a blip though? And the Phillies don't seriously contend again this year, and they kind of fall back down to earth a little bit and get closer to the Marlins rather than the Braves and Mets. Do you think it's really a three-headed race, and that all three can really gobble up 
a bunch of wins atop the NL East? Or uh, where are you at with the Phillies? Do you think they rip replicate what they did a year ago? So I, I think it legitimately is a three-way race. I just don't think Philadelphia is as close to the Mets and Braves to make it like a, an, like a three-way race till the end of the season. I, I think what I see with the Phillies is pretty similar to what they did last year, which is to say, you know, a, a team that finishes somewhere in the mid to high 80s win-wise, but still doesn't really come all that close to the division because there is a noticeable step up talent-wise. There's a noticeable gap between... Uh, what the Braves and the Mets have and what the Phillies do. And that's not to say that the Phillies are, are in a bad spot or anything. Obviously, like you said, they have Turner, who I think was probably the, in terms of free agent signings, made this winter probably the best fit and hmm. biggest impact just because of how long Philadelphia has needed not just a, a full-time, like, regular above-average shortstop, but also someone on top of that lineup who can provide uh, some speed and who can kind of change the game for them in a way that it's not just that lineup that it's just you know, trying to slug its way forward. And granted, that's not a bad way to go to go about it. It's try to just hit homers everywhere. But like you said, with Harper out for at least uh, the first few months of the season, that lineup is going to be a little compromised. We don't really know if Nick Castellanos is going to bounce back from what looks to be the beginning of his decline stage. The Phillies are obviously hoping not. Uh, to say nothing of the fact that Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber are going to be relied on in the outfield on a regular basis, which is not at all a place where you want to be. You know, it, it is an open question as to whether or not the Phillies, I think, have the depth to be that kind of team over 162 games that can make it all the way to the finish line as part of that NL East uh, chase, as opposed to being a team that is more involved in the wild card race for the entirety of September. And I ultimately think that's where they end up. But I also don't think that that's necessarily a sign of, you know, last year being a fluke of any kind. I think the if you want to say if you want to call it fluky, I think the fluky part of the Philly season last year was that postseason run itself. You know, the season they had felt right in line, I think, with what most of us would have expected from the Phillies. What was the surprise was just how just how hot they got in a short period of time. And as we've seen over and over again through the postseason, that can happen. You know, the Braves did it the, you know, two years before that. Um, you know, obviously we've seen other teams uh, get hot at the right moment and pull out titles, you know, after coming into the postseason looking like a mediocre at best bunch. So, yeah, I, I expect the Phillies to contend. I expect them to be... Uh, there with Atlanta and the Mets, but I also don't expect them to beat either of those two teams. And I think more likely than not, we would see them as one of the two NL wild cards uh, if they do end up making the postseason at all. I think they'd take a step back. Like I saw the Pocota projections is basically identical to what they finished with last year was 87, 88 wins, somewhere around there. And the Braves mm -hmm. and the Mets are right there in the 90s. I just have a hard time believing all three are just going to dominate the way that they should and i just trust the mets and the braves so much more than the phillies bryce harper's injury like trey turner i think like you said great fit all makes sense their starting outfield <laughs> without bryce is nick i mean nick castellanos was one of the worst players in baseball so you're kind of back yes. on him to be better this year he can't be any worse brandon marsh is in center field kyle schwarber hit 46 home runs last year i mean does he replicate that is that something that we're betting on is Kyle Schwarber doing that yeah, I, I I don't know if he'll match those specifics I think the overall contours of his performance will be roughly the same I think he mm. probably ends up at roughly the same level of production I just imagine that but yeah it's, it's like Aaron Judge with the Yankees like I don't necessarily know that you can expect that many home runs again just because that's an absurdly high number of home runs to hit in the first place you know even for a guy like Schwarber who is one of the game's uh, better power hitters 
I also just don't trust the rotation after Nolan Wheeler. Like, I just, I'm not, I think among the big three, that is pretty terrifying of a rotation. The key there is going to be how Ranger Suarez develops. Yeah. Because I I agree with you that the back of the rotation in Taiwan Walker and uh, I think it's it's Bailey Falter now is the Falter, I think so, yeah. Potential best starter. Mm. I'm, I'm not super high on either of those guys, but Suarez, I think, showed a lot during the second half of last season and also in the postseason. He's got swing and miss stuff. I think the key for him is going to be, you know, developing the consistency needed so that he can pitch efficiently, get through innings quickly. Because, yeah, as it stands right now, like, no, few, if any, teams have a better one-two punch atop their rotation than, than Wheeler and Nola. But I, I think you're right, too, that there are some depth questions, particularly given that, I, I you know, I, I imagine, especially just given how much hype there was around him in spring training, that the Phillies were probably hoping that Andrew Painter could be a big part, potentially, of their season. Instead, he's been shut down with elbow or forearm pain or some combination of the two, which is never what you want to hear about a, about one of, about one your top pitching prospect. And so I imagine that, you know, based on that, the Phillies are going to, you know, pump the brakes with him, take it a little slow. That removes a really, you know, important, a really potentially impressive kind of Spencer Strider level uh, potential contributor who could have come onto this team, maybe could have made it out of spring training. Maybe it would have been uh, getting on the roster a little later in the season who could have given them a, a real potential impact arm behind Nolan Wheeler and Suarez. Well, hold on. There's only one Spencer Strider. And there that's... is only, there's only one Spencer Strider. There's only one Spencer Strider mustache. I'm a Spencer Strider mm-hmm. fan. I, I love his, his him talking about how he likes old music, AKA the indie rock of the early two thousands, which mm-hmm. doesn't at all make me feel ancient. But you know, I, I think, you know, if there was one prospect in that division who I think probably had the biggest chance to make an impact in that division race, it was going to be painter. Mm-hmm. And now that looks like far less of a thing or far less certain of a thing. Rather. Well, let's talk about happier teams. The Atlanta Braves. John Taylor. Mm-hmm. Do they make it six in a row? Does Alex Anthopoulos ever actually lose this division, or did the Mets finally do enough, even without Carlos Correa joining, uh, jumping in the boat? Is this finally the Mets breakthrough and actually steal the division from the Braves? I think the Braves still have to be the favorite, if only because it does feel like an overall deeper roster, and in particular, that, that bullpen is unreal it yeah the the thing i've you know one of the things i that's crept through the the wbc bubble here for me is noticing that nick anderson has something like a dozen strikeouts and in five innings of, ca- of grapefruit no anderson's play. got the fifth spot by the way it's yeah, like bryce it, eldred was bad today like it's no it's, and it's, it's like to, be, adding yeah. that to a bullpen that already has rice iglesias and and aj minter and uh or sorry AJ, i know aj minter's hurt uh tyler matt or is it minter or matzik who blew out uh matzik it was Matt Blood. So adding yeah. to AJ Minter and, like I said, to Rice Iglesias. Colin McHugh. And, and to Colin, Colin McHugh. Like th- this bullpen yeah. that for two years running has been one of the best in baseball, just get even better than that. You know, and to get a full season out of Strider, a full season out of Michael Harris, to see potentially what Vaughn Grissom can do. You know, I, I think if you worry about Atlanta, it's, you know, one, did they take a potentially fatal step back at shortstop by going from Dansby to Vaughn Grissom and not really addressing the position otherwise in the offseason? Two is the hole in left field and the insistence on trying to get something, if or anything at all, out of Marcelo Zuna at this point, going to come back to bite them. You know, is that a potential spot that uh, Anthopoulos is going to have to address at some point during the season? I assume that yes. You know, I think obviously shortstop is the one that probably might will have the bigger impact, just especially given uh, or de- depending, especially on Grissom's defense. But you know, I, I ultimately do think though that those potential holes probably don't add up to enough to give the Mets the edge because the Mets, and, and we'll talk about them too, 
have plenty of depth concerns of their own. I mean, they just lost Jose Quintana, who was supposed to be their fifth starter for a, until at least July and possibly beyond that with a, with a stress fracture in his ribs. You know, so they're already at a place where they're being forced to, to dig into their reserves, too. And it's, you know, we're, we're still two weeks away from opening day. Turns out just building the oldest rotation in baseball history might have been uh, a little bit of a, and, and of a that's, bad idea. And that's part of it, too. It's like Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, for as good as they are, are not the, you know, the 220 inning horses that they used no. to be. These are guys who were realistically you're getting 175, 180 innings out of them at best. And, you know, at worst, they're missing half the season if they if they pull something or, or stretch something. And granted, that's every pitcher. But of course, the risk is that much higher when you're talking about guys who are 37 and 39 years old, you know, and who have as many miles on the, on the odometer as those two do and who are going to be as re- relied as heavily upon as they are, given that the Mets rotation behind them. And I think part of this, as much as, you know, I said Suarez was one of the X factors to the Phillies, I think the same can be said with Kodai Senga for the Mets, mm. uh, the high-priced Japanese imp- import with his magic ghost fork ball, which impossible to name a pitch to have a cooler pitch name than the ghost fork. That but, is pretty good. You know, he's a guy who could really be an impact arm for them, uh, depending on how they and how they utilize him, on whether or not they have the depth to go to a potentially six-man rotation to try to keep him uh, rested and and something more along the lines of how he pitched in Japan. But you know, what's what's going to be curious, or what's going to be the I think the difference maker to go back to the Braves is, you know, do they have the pieces if they do need to make a midseason trade if they are in a really tight race with the Mets or if they are looking up at them in the division and they do need to make an improvement where does that come from at this point you know that minor league system is pretty well tapped out you know they the last really viable prospects to be used in a trade went for Sean Murphy and I also I can't believe it took me this long to mention Sean Murphy Mm. arguably like one of the three best catchers in baseball and acquired for virtually nothing that the Braves are going to miss with the exception potentially of William Contreras yeah like I, I, I very much I'm perpetually the Jesse Pinkman meme where he's just looking up at the at the ceiling with the tears running down his eyes going he can't keep getting away with this when it comes to Anthopolis and both trading for these guys and then signing them to incredibly team friendly extensions in the process it's a good culture I think that's a big thing is the culture's good um I do think I mean Grissom's hitting in spring and look it's spring so it is what it is he's had a couple errors it's the fielding's been a little bit rocky but I think I'm leaning towards him. Him sticking is still my guess. I'm still betting on a big year from Austin Riley. Like it wouldn't surprise me if he's in an LMBB conversation. I think Sean Murphy is going to be awesome. I'm curious to see what ultimately happens with the DH because I think it's just going to be a split between Azuna and Darno to start things off. Azuna's actually hit this spring, so maybe that continues. I'm all in on the <laughs> Sam Hilliard uh, boat, John Taylor. Sam Hilliard, he's he's the guy. It's Sam Michael, Hilliard. Michael Bauman has stinks, been Michael yeah. Bauman's been charting that one for us as at, he, he wrote that piece of fan graphs a month ago about how Hilliard is probably the Braves best option in left field at this point. Wow. Do I have to agree with the South Carolina fan? Look, it's I'm, I'm sorry that your sec mm-hmm. hatred blinds you to, <laughs> to the truth here, but um, also just random sec interjection. Yeah. Texas is joining the sec for baseball purposes and Oklahoma. Everything, uh, everything in 2024, Texas. And okay. Oklahoma. Yeah. It really does just matter more. That was a year ago. I love New York, whatever. John Taylor. I I, they just announced the schedule, how, how much, it was going to work. How yeah. much attention do you think mm-hmm. I pay to college baseball when I'm not talking to you? Well, hold on. I thought based on just our years together, John, you're tapping into Tennessee baseball when, when they're on. You're 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 scouting. You're like, who's going to be the fourth or third? Guess who is the number one arm in baseball and has already watched him multiple times. And it's just an absolute delight. 10 K's on Friday night. 
Chase Dollander. Is it, is it Chase Dollander? Okay. It is Chase Dollander. Everything coming up, Chase Knoxville. No, I think the Braves are the favorite, and I think they have the best rotation in uh, the NL East. I think it doesn't matter if it's Schuster. It doesn't matter if it's Elder. It doesn't matter if it's Ian Anderson, Taroka, whatever. They have an embarrassment or riches. Like, I think what's going to happen is the Braves end up starting Freed, Wright, Morton, Strider, Schuster, Soroka, Anderson, Dodd, and Elder at various points this year. And no one's stopping that. Like, I just, the depth that they have both in the rotation and the bullpen, I, I think the Braves are going to win 95 ish games in one right. division. And I agree with that. And I think it's important, too, that you, you brought up the bullpen depth because I think that's one place where the Mets in particular really lag behind the, mm. behind the Braves. I mean, they have the best pitcher of all of those guys in Edwin Diaz. But, you know, from that point forward, it, it, it's kind of a, a, it's not the most accomplished group there. No. And it's definitely a group that I think. Uh, they're going to have to address at some point during the season, probably make a trade for some reliever or another, because that's, you know, given how much they had to spend to bring Diaz back, to bring to bring Verlander in, to bring Brandon Nimmo back, to add Senga, trying to add Carlos Correa. I mean, clearly there wasn't really any actual, like, you know, line that Steve Cohen wasn't going to cross budget-wise. But for whatever reason, you know, the, the money went there, but, the, you know, they didn't seem to make that much they didn't seem to have that much interest in adding anything bullpen wise beyond bringing Diaz back. And I'm, it, it, that's a curious one to me. And I, I do think it's going to be something that probably does hold the Mets back a bit because you know, this, the, again, you've seen with the Braves over the last two seasons, just how easy sometimes it, you, it makes it to have a bullpen that good. Just knowing after five innings, Hey, we're done here. Absolutely. Um, speaking of the Mets are the Mets on track to be better than they were a year ago and do you think what hindered them down the stretch last year has been fixed and will they end up regretting not just going through with the the Correa signing I don't I mean it's hard to say with the Correa stuff because given what they were worried about and you know it, we're, we're not really going to know until we see him play the season with the twins and how he looks I mean I I don't expect that what came up with him that potential uh the plate in his ankle that caused so many issues both with the Mets and with the Giants I don't think that's going to be something that necessarily jumps out this season or affects him this season it seems like it's more of a a long-term concern particularly in in terms of getting him insured so that you know there's no risk of losing tons of money if something does happen um I, I know I've said before you know Correa he would have been the cherry on top of the of the Mets offseason Sunday so I don't think without him, this team is, is doomed by any stretch. And I do think that, you know, they made all the moves that they had to make. They brought back Diaz. They brought back Nemo. I don't think there was any real shot of the Mets being a, a division contender without either of those guys and ideally without both. You know, they replaced DeGrom with Verlander, which is pretty as close to a one-to-one -one as you can get in terms of losing uh, a two-time Cy Young winner to replace him with another two-time Cy Young winner. Did they both have two, two Cy Youngs? I think Verlander is like three, whatever it exactly it is. Yeah. You know, ace for an ace, essentially. Um, I think, like I said, with the Mets, the questions you have are mostly just the depth and also kind of the, the kind of more peripheral roster pieces. And I think one good example of that is, you know, what do they want to do at third base? Do they want to just give that job to Eduardo Escobar, who's about as average a player as you can get both on both sides of the ball at this rate and doesn't really have that high a ceiling anymore and may actually be more valuable as a, as a utility guy? Or do they want to give that shot to their top hitting prospect? Uh, well, their top hitting prospect is Francisco Alvarez to their top infield prospect, Brett Batty, and let him take the reins and see, hey, you know, this guy, you know, can this guy get it done? Because there is a genuine upside there. I think similarly with Alvarez, you know, is it do we just stick with an Omar Narvaez, Tomas Nito combination for the time being and just play it safe? Or do we put the rookie in there behind the plate and see if he can't turn in some kind of 
you know, uh, Adley Rutschman style performance where he just, you know, dominates on both sides of the ball. And I'm not saying Alvarez is Adley Rutschman. Rutschman is already pretty clearly one of the five best catchers in baseball and making a real, real argument to be number three behind Real Muto and Murphy. But um, I, I think that's really the big question with the Mets is do you ha- do you trust the youth that you have? Because, you know, the, the depth that you do have otherwise is it's not the best, you know, it's Dan Vogelbach, it's, it's Darren Ruff, it's Mark Vientos, it's Escobar, it's, you know, it's guys who don't really move the needle. And, and the, granted, they're better than what the Mets have run out in years past in terms of depth options. But I think there is an open question there of like, you know, who, who kind of takes these jobs that aren't as locked down? Who, and uh, similarly, and I guess on a summit, or better said on a different track, you know, what about the health of Starling Marte? That was a mm. really crucial reason why the Mets kind of struggled so badly uh, down the stretch last year. You got year Tommy was, Pham, John Taylor. You got Tommy Pham right there. I really hope the Mets did their fantasy football draft already. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, they need a healthy Marte. You know, that he needs to be healthy atop that lineup in right field for, or sorry, in left field for them, uh, or right field. No, in right field for them. Marcan has mm. in left field. You know, he, he is a crucial piece of that lineup and of that roster. And if he's still feeling. Uh, the effects of that broken finger, or if he's, you know, at all feeling any injury impact in effect this spring, that's going to have a big impact on how the Mets do going forward. Um, two final teams here. We'll give you 30 seconds in the Nationals because they don't deserve anything. Um, the the Marlins. What is yes. the case to the Marlins being a wild card team? If you had to play out the perfect scenario based on where the Marlins are at right now, roster wise. How do how, how do the Miami Marlins get a wild card spot? Because the division's out of the question. The realistic question is, could they still sneak into a wild card spot? How do they do it with this group? So it starts with Luis Arias basically winning another batting title. You know, that was mm. the big move they made this offseason was to swap Pablo Lopez for Arias. Uh, something that they they could mostly afford to do because, as we've noted, pitching is a, is a position of strength for them. Although I think it's not as strong as you would imagine. I think they're going to miss Lopez more than they realize. But in Arias, they get a guy who plays the kind of baseball I think that, that the Marlins want to be playing, which is a high contact kind of, you know, station to station ball that's, you know, less predicated on, you know, swinging for the fences ever. I mean, it just in Marlins Park plays to pitchers and you, I've seen it just here in Pool D play how many home runs just kind of end up weirdly dying here. Who knows why? Maybe it has something to do with the dome or the air conditioning inside. But regardless, I think it starts with Arias being an impact force at the top of the lineup. It means they need a full healthy season out of Jazz Chisholm and not just a full healthy season uh, offensively and in the lineup, but also for him to take pretty much immediately to playing center field, considering Mm -hmm. their rather risky gambit of moving Chisholm from second to center so that Arias can be at second, despite the fact that Chisholm has never played center and that Arias is no one's idea of a particularly good defensive second baseman. Uh, I think it involves obviously better performance from Avisel Garcia and Jorge Soler, the two big the two big free agent signings of the winter previous, who were pretty well awful last year. They need really mm. anything out of them would be any kind of help. And obviously getting something good out of them really deepens and extends a lineup that was one of the worst in the National League last year. And I think pitching-wise, you know, they can feel good about Sandy Alcantara. I think there's a good feeling about guys like Jesus Lizardo and what he brings to the table. I think really the two guys you look there who... You know, you're wondering, or in terms of, again, impact arms who might be able to come in down the stretch or, or in the case of one help from the beginning, Edward, Edward Cabrera and Yuri Perez. Cabrera mm. with a great changeup who uh, debuted last season, made a few really good starts, has a good strikeup potential. Perez, arguably the best pitching prospect in the minor leagues. I think Grayson Rodriguez is uh, the, re- the major competition for him in that one. 
You know, I don't know. I have no idea how realistic it is for Perez maybe to make his debut this season. But if the Marlins do find themselves in that wild card race because of all the things, you know, that I mentioned going right, I can definitely. And Perez has had a good and, you know, Perez has continues to do what he's done in the minors so far. I think it's a genuine possibility that, you know, he's a guy who could come up in the second half and be a, a real impact arm for them in the rotation. Interesting. Fangraph's Zips love Solaire this year. 31 dingers, his zips projection. Yeah, but that's probably going to come with a 290 on base percentage. So, you know. Yeah. So, uh, silver linings to everything. Actually, or, I guess, uh, his OBP is, three, is, 30, is 324. That's pretty good for Jorge Soler. I mean, I, yeah. I would be surprised to find that. Soler does seem like one of those guys where when it starts to fall apart, it all goes in a hurry because the, the selectivity is just not there for him to kind of... He, he's a guy who has to hit his way out of slumps. And that's really Boy, hard. Did he. You... Speaking of Jorge Soler, yeah. Jorge Soler, big hit city for the Atlanta Braves. He's not but allowed think... in Houston anymore. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. He, I don't think the fans in Houston are particularly fond of him. But I no. mean, that's a guy when you, when you have to hit your way out of a slump, but you're also a guy who's not a very selective hitter. It it can kind of create. And I think um, Dan Samborski wrote a piece looking at his. He he made some bust picks mm. uh, for this year's hitters, and he. he Solaire kind of strikes me the same way Joey Gallo does, where the selectivity has gotten to the point that it's so bad that he almost can't hit his way out of those slumps because there's just no, there's just not enough consistency to what he's going after. So I'll be surprised if Solaire puts up those numbers. I, I genuinely will be, but I think that is part of what Miami needs. And ultimately, I think given how many different things I've mentioned and given the probabilities of them happening, none of which feel particularly high to me, I think it's a more likely than not that Miami is not just not in the wildcard conversation, but probably, but also probably still stuck below 500. I just don't think this team has the offense ultimately to make up for the fact that defensively, it's going to be kind of a rough group. And this is, you know, I haven't even noted the fact that their new third baseman is Gene Segura. Who's a second baseman. Their new shortstop is Joey Wendell. Who is a third baseman. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, they're got guys playing all out of, out of position all over this roster which is also going to be kind of a kind of a hard thing for a rotation that gets a lot of ground balls too. I'd be I'd be curious to see how that's going to affect Sandy Alcantara to have this kind of shaky, wonky defensive infield behind him. I just think too much has to go right for Miami to be anything other than uh, even a 500 team. I think at best. Final team, 30 seconds on the Washington Nationals. John Taylor, uh, give Nationals fans or any Major League Baseball fan uh, a reason to watch a national game this year. Is there any player, anything interesting about this team? No. Just straight up no. I mean, the future for the, it's all about the future for the Nationals. And I think if you're a Nationals fan, what has to be, it's exciting on the one hand to know it's like, okay, we got all these guys we traded Juan Soto for, James Wood, Robert Hassel the third, you know, CJ Abrams, Mackenzie Gore, in particular, Wood and Harris the third, were are really top prospects. To say nothing of guys like Brady House, Elijah Green, Cade Cavalli, although Cavalli came out of today's game with some elbow pain, which is, again, never what you want to hear about your top prospect. I think the bigger concern, though, is that the young guy, one, that the young guys they've already got in there now really do not look particularly well developed. Uh, the pitching that they have, the hitters that they simply have not been able to turn around to any extent. Kyber Ruiz is going to be their first real big test of what their player development group can do because they've now made a, a substantial commitment to him in the form of eight years and roughly, I think, 50 million or so dollars. I think the future of the Nationals is the bright one, but I think it's a future we may not even we may not even be talking about that bright Nationals future for another two seasons at least. You know this this group of guys that they have right now is very very bad. You know this is this is not a group that I I, I cannot see this team winning more than I think sixty five games. I think this is uh, one of the guaranteed hundred loss teams in baseball this year. 
And I think they're the worst team, right? Like, I think they're going to be the I worst think, team. I think the A's are right there with them. This A, mm. this year's A's squad is abominable, and they really mm. should not be allowed to exist. I think this year's Royals team is also staggeringly bad. Mm. Um, either way, though, I think the Nationals will definitely be one of the worst teams in baseball. And I think also it's going to be interesting to see, because I mean, we're, we're still waiting to see who is in charge of this Nationals team this by this time next year. You know, They're still waiting for new ownership. They're still waiting to find... And as part of that, you know, obviously there's going to be a new general manager and more likely not a new manager as well. Right now, there's still, you know, it, it's still kind of a lame duck operation there with with Mike Rizzo and, and Davey Martinez in charge. Um, you know, Patrick Corbin taking the mound every five days to get his brains beaten. And there's just, you know, Steven Strasburg's career is more or less over at this point. There's just not a whole lot in 2023 I think any Nationals fan can really be all that excited about. And I would wager that the great majority of them will spend more of their time looking at the box scores for their single A and double A teams, and they will paying attention to whatever is happening at the major league level. Again, with the exception of, you know, how is Mackenzie Gore developing? You know, how is CJ Abrams developing? Can Luis Garcia become a proficient enough, uh, develop enough power and improve his defense enough to be a regular second baseman? You know, what, what happens with the kind of collection of tweener outfielders they've, they've put together over the years? I would feel better about that if Washington had shown really any ability to develop players over the last five years, with the exception of Soto. And to a certain degree, I don't know how much credit I'm willing to give them on Soto because he seems to have just kind of sprung fully formed out of their mind. Oh, we leagues. have to give him Soto. Just we'll like give, the Braves get credit for Acuna. No, you get the... Credit, but I, yeah. Soto just feels so sui generis in a way. He, he's he's hmm. basically a Ted Williams clone. I don't know how your player development system yeah. can just make that. But either way, regardless of how much you give the Nationals credit for Soto, he's really their lone player development success story of the last few years. He's really it. And it's that, that same group is still there and is still making the decisions, is still trying to get these prospects worked up. I don't have a whole lot of faith in them. And you know, uh, to the extent that, again, I, I really don't see this Nationals team being relevant for at least another two seasons at this point. I agree with you. I I think it's gonna be pretty bad um, for the next couple of years, and also they don't have a reason. It's like, have you seen the top of this division? No, they're no, and fine. that's and that's the other that's the other scenario where it's it, it almost feels like again like like what the A's have. I mean, the A's are a different route because of just. I was gonna you know, say the A's a little bit different. You could talk yourself in the AOS like the Astros. We're nearing the end. I think we're nearing the end of peak yeah, contending I, Astros baseball. I, I I agree with you on that. I, I think you're right though that you know the state of the NL East as it is with the Braves and the Mets and the Phillies where yeah. they are and the Marlins having just more better young talent really does not incentivize the Nationals to do much of anything to them on the major league level for you know at least another season or two I think. And again, that's you yeah. know not even including the fact that they still have to find new ownership. You know that that process has yet to begin, much less be resolved. Doesn't help that the other the Washington football team is also maybe maybe not selling. Like I'm sure there's Look, owners or like prospective owners who are like, do we want I mean, to go the Nationals or you want to see if we can get the Commanders? If Jeff Bezos wants to diversify his Washington holdings, I can think of yeah. no better way to do it than by buying the worst team in baseball. But yeah, it's 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 rough times for professional sports in in the district and in the DMV at large. It, it, it's not a fun place to be. No. Um, but for the national, it took the nationals to fall for uh, our Baltimore Orioles. People forget our Baltimore Orioles to rise. It's John there's always there's always a a, a balance in all, all ebb and flow. Balance. There must be harmony. Yes, ebb and flow. There only go. one only one Mid Atlantic team can be good <laughs> at one time. Uh, John Taylor, what can the coach check out from you and the team over at Fangraphs.com this week? So this week we've been running a fair amount of WBC coverage. I've been here in Miami. Michael Bauman has been out in Phoenix covering Pool C and Team USA. 
we will we'll obviously keep writing about the WBC as it goes on. I'm not going to be in Miami past the end of pool play, unfortunately. But mm. I, I love this event too much to, to let it go and just disappear into the ether. Otherwise, uh, big thing on the docket, uh, Eric Longenhagen continues working through his uh top team top prospect list he and Tess Taruskin just put out the Blue Jays list 41 players led by Ricky Tiedemans and Addison Barger that came out earlier on Tuesday and the big thing to get ready for beyond that as we get as we get closer closer to opening day our annual positional power rankings where we rank uh every position in the majors team by team from first to worst uh I'm sure that once those come out we'll have many an argument over where the braves deserve to be which i know in your mind is first at every position with the exception of whatever whichever one marcelo zuna happens to be standing at into that given moment so that keep an eye out for that positional power rankings are always a lot of fun uh, not so much to edit but definitely to read and definitely to argue about in our comments section mm-hmm. so check those out in fan graphs and of course all the rest of our spring training coverage all the rest of you know anytime uh we you know ben clemens wrote about the corbin carroll extension you should go check that one out uh, if you're a Nationals fan and all the Nationals talk made you sad, go read Leo Morgenstern's piece about Kybert Ruiz's extension. That should make you feel a little bit better, at least. Uh, but yeah, it's it, again, it's opening day is like two weeks away. We're so close. We're so close. And you can find all of the good previous stuff over on Fangraphs.com. Go sign up for a membership while you're there. Sixty dollars a year for ad-free browsing. That's just five bucks a month. You, you get all kinds of cool perks too. You get ad-free browsing. You can change the colors on the. You can change the colors uh, layout on the site. And as I've said a Wait, million what? times, yeah, can it, you, you do can that? Change, yeah, you can change it from green to kind of a lighter brownish color. I think. I've, How do you do that? I didn't you know, know you could have, do that. Well, you have to be a member for starters. Oh, there's the trick. Uh, and as I've said, we've got some additional member perks coming along, coming down the line. Stuff we're working on right now. So. Come on over to Fangraphs, join us for all the fun, and join us for our WBC coverage. We got the WBC stuff going. It's it it's been a great time. I mean, look look how much fun everyone behind me is having. You probably can't see because they are all the size of ants <laughs> from this vantage no, point. No, John's actually but, that big. John's actually at field level. Yeah, I, and, my yeah. head is as big as the distance <laughs> from catcher to second base. So, I, yeah, but look, look, it's you, you can just tell though. You can you can you can feel it. You can hear it. It's Come on and come to Fangraphs and enjoy our WBC coverage and then go watch the WBC. Go enjoy yeah. the WBC. I, I can't stress this enough. I don't want to have to be a WBC evangelist, especially because I don't. If it's not your cup of tea, fine, whatever. You don't have to yeah. watch it. And quite frankly, I don't care. But you really should be watching it. It is so much fun and way more fun than watching split squads play just the most desultory baseball imaginable at two in the afternoon in West Palm beach or, or Glendale, like Mm. do yourself a favor, watch these games. And if nothing else, if you are, if you are not a WBC convert, watch Wednesday nights, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic game. I promise you if that game will change your mind about the WBC, I promise you. There you go. I love it. John Taylor. I love this. You're excited. Just the, the to, natural John to, Taylor WBC highs. I'm is gonna a find delight. a way to do this. I'm gonna find a way to do this next week somehow. I'm gonna break into Yankee Stadium and okay. just set myself up in their press box, mm-hmm. and we can just every week we'll just have a new we'll have a new stadium backdrop. I'm gonna go around the. I country love that you went Yankees and not Mets. I would have assumed you you would have assumed you could do it with the Mets. I'm like Steve sure Cohen Steve... would have let you in. Like Steve Cohen's just like I'll jump on. <laughs> honestly, I probably honestly if I did, we'll just walk around uh, City Field and find Steve yeah. Cohen. I'm sure I actually could get him just to jump on a random podcast. That's what I'm saying. Without I even think he would jump on. Yeah, I think he would do it too. Uncle Stevie's crazy, but we love him, folks. We we love him. John Taylor, always a pleasure. I will talk to you next week. Sounds good.
Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.